the book of Ecclesiastes, or open your Bible app, the book, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we are continuing our venture into the wisdom literature of the Bible. We are gaining wisdom for how to live in and find meaning in a broken and fallen world. Let's ask the Holy Spirit for the gift of illumination prior to Mindy reading our passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Spirit of God, we declare our dependence upon you. We acknowledge that the intake of your word is not a mere mental exercise, but we want to receive spiritual benefit as you intend. And so grant, we pray, the gift of illumination. Open the eyes of our hearts to know, understand, and be transformed by your word. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. This is the word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toils. This is the gift of God to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Mindy. To borrow a line from my friend Joshua Morgan, I know something about you. I have not been eavesdropping on your conversations, intercepting cell phone calls, but I know something about you. I know that you are a creature of time. I know that you live in the tension of what's called time, though you might not think about it very often. Our experience with time is often like the story told by David Foster Wallace. 
two young fish are swimming along, and they meet an older fish swimming the other way. And the older fish says, morning, boys. How's the water? And the two younger fish swim on, and then one looks to the other and says, what's water? That's how we often are with time, constantly swimming through time, but maybe not giving a lot of thought to it. It's understandable. The concept of time is hard to define. Augustine, Augustine wrote in his Confessions, what is time? If no one asks me, I know what it is. If I wish to explain it to him who asks, I don't know. The great Augustine said, I can't explain time to you. Time can't be ignored. It's hard to define. But you know the experience of this tension I'm describing. In our youth, teenagers, children, time seems to move too slowly. You want to speed up time. You say things like, I can't wait for time to pass. Get my driver's license, get out of school, get a job, what have you. In adulthood, we want time to slow down. We say, where'd the time go? In our latter years, we wish to go back in time, but we can't. There is this kind of tension we experience as creatures of time. So how are you to think about this? How should you think about time, and how should you live in light of it? How think about it, and how to live in light of it. That's what our passage addresses. I want to see with you a main truth about time, then how to live in light of it. A main truth, and then two ways to apply that truth. Here's the main truth. Quite simply, God rules over time. Or, as I'm putting it, God rules over the tension of time. The preacher here is searching for meaning in life. He just talked about the inescapable reality of death in the previous chapter, and that creates a problem for meaning, does it not? The problem of living in time. So now he steps back and speaks to us poetically in the most famous part of this entire book. He provides here 14 pairs, 14 pairs of events. Let's walk through them. Beginning in verse 1, he writes, For everything there is a season and a time a time for every matter under heaven, every matter in this life. Verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. He begins with the moment, most momentous events, the bookends of your life in time, being born and dying. Then the next three pairs are constructive and destructive activities, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. Then two pairs related to human emotions. Verse 4, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And then two related to friendship and enmity. Verse 5, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing this idea of 
Casting away stones is a bit foreign to us. It's probably referring to a time of war when you would cast stones into an enemy's field to make it unusable for agriculture. And then later on, you'd gather up those stones. Next two pairs touch on our possessions. Verse 6, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. And then times for mourning, sadness. Verse 7, a time to tear and a time to sow. The biblical character Job, when all he held dear was taken from him, he tore his robes in grief. It was a time to tear for him. And then later on, when the grief has passed, sewing up that garment again. The last few pairs leave nothing else out. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And as Marshall so aptly prayed, you can't help but think of the people of Ukraine longing for peace when a war has been imposed upon them. <clears throat> now, it's often said that this poem is about us acting appropriately in differing occasions. But really, this is not about how we are to act in time. This is how time acts on us. The preacher is moving through the full range of human experience, not to highlight what you need to do, not giving you a bucket list of things to do, but what happens to you in life. My half-sister's wedding is next weekend. She is 25 years younger than me, and I get to officiate the wedding, so we will not be here next weekend. My other sister buried her father-in-law a few weeks ago, a man who cared much about her for the last almost three decades. I attended the funeral for that sister. It, it affected me as I held my sister's hand as she grieved that loss. So in a five-week span, with one sister I grieve, with the other sister will rejoice. That's what life is like. That's what this poem is describing. The full gamut of what happens to you and me in time, in the course of time. The mistake we make, the reason I think we look at this as us needing to act appropriately is because we separate out the poem from what comes next. What comes next really applies the poem. Beginning in verse 9. Verse 9 says, What gain has the worker from his toil? It's a rhetorical question, echoing the very start of the book, if you recall. What gain, what advantage, what advantage do you have from all of your efforts in this life? Assumed answer? None. Any, any net change from those events? It's a beautiful, poetic pair. Any net change? No. All that are born also die. It's a one-to-one -one ratio. Every birth leads to a funeral. Every, plant, every crop 
planted, gets harvested and, and plucked up in this tension of time. You don't control time. Time, as it were, controls you. No one chooses when you weep. No one chooses when you die. No one chooses when you're born. We don't rule over time. Time rules over us. So we should ask, who rules time? That's the main truth we're getting at. We don't rule over time. Time rules over us. So, so, who rules over time? Well, that's verses 10 and 11. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Verse 11. He, God, has made everything beautiful or appropriate, appropriate in its time. Notice that word time in verse 11. It's tying into the repetition of time in the poem in verses 1 through 8. There's a connection here. Now we see who controls all those times. Of that full range of human emotion and human experience, God rules over them all. God is king over them all. God determines all those events, not we ourselves. And yet, As verse 11 continues, also he has put eternity into man's heart. If you haven't felt the tension I'm describing, I think you should now. He has put a sense of forever, the word could be translated, a sense of forever in your heart. Mortal beings with a sense of forever within you. An innate sense that we are not just tourists visiting here temporarily, but we are pilgrims, pilgrims passing through on our way to somewhere else. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, is an investor in a Silicon Valley startup that is recruiting some of the world's top genetic scientists to seek the secrets of eternal life. They are trying to prevent the aging process. I don't think they'll be successful. But that's verse 11 in action, isn't it? That's verse 11. Mortal beings with this sense of forever in our hearts, and it haunts us, like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives, the old soap opera began. Our time is like that. The sand just keeps pouring through the hourglass, and you can't stop those sands. You can't even slow them down. Live long enough, live long enough, and you experience what Paul Tripp calls the death of invincibility. This is what's in your future, <laughs> the death of invincibility. When we are younger, we feel invincible. We know we're not, but we feel invincible. Teen teens, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, you get sick, you bounce back, usually. You get injured, it heals, no problem. 
As you get older, that sense of invincibility, I promise you, fades away. I'm 54 now. The past year or so has been a time in which I have never more felt the aging process like I do. Never more have I been more aware of how my body is changing. My knees hurt, hip hurts, and that's not getting totally better. I have had this, I know it's kind of a duh moment, but a looming realization, I am never again going to feel like I did in my 20s, 30s, or 40s. And to be honest with you, I can feel a bit melancholy about that. This downward path. As John Glenn said, there is still no cure for the common birthday. And yet, we have eternity in our hearts. We have a sense of forever in our hearts, leading to this sense of tension and confusion in verse 11. Confusion. It says, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We can't figure out God's plans in time. We don't know, you don't know if tomorrow will be a time of mourning for you or a time of rejoicing for you. You don't know. Today might be joy, tomorrow might be sadness. You don't control that and you don't know. You don't rule time, God does. That's the main truth here. So how are we to live in this tension? How are you to respond to him? Well, he tells us in two ways. It's nice and tidy, actually. Both begin with the words, I perceived in our translation, or I know, I perceived. I would call the first one, I would title the first one, Enjoy the Now. Enjoy the Now. Enjoy God's gifts in time. Verse 12, I perceived, do you see that? I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. So the preacher would say to me, don't be so melancholy about the passing of time, Tab. Be joyful and do some good with the time you have. You see, the passing of time does something very helpful. It prioritizes for us what matters most. Actress Courtney Cox is 57, I read her comments about approaching the age of 60. She said, I can't believe it. Time goes so fast. Time goes so fast. Then she said this, I've learned what to enjoy, what to try to do more of, and what to let go of. Oh, that's verse 12. That's what verse 12 is commending. Learn what to enjoy, what to do more of, and what to let go of. Well, like what? Well, like verse 13. Also, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil, all his effort. This is God's gift to man. So here again, like chapter 2, we're told to enjoy God's good gifts. Eating, drinking, enjoying the pleasure of a job well done. Enjoy God's good temporal gifts, not ends in themselves, not where you find ultimate meaning. 
but there is real enjoyment in them in the here and now. A glass of wine with dinner, a cold IPA with friends, a good steak, a fattening dessert once in a while. Enjoy God's good gifts in time. They have purpose. They have purpose for us as pilgrims who are passing through. I realize I quoted C.S. Lewis last week, but allow me one more time. This, this quote ministered to me a good bit recently. Lewis, in his The Problem of Pain, writes, Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant inns, some pleasant places to stay, some pleasant inns, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. On your journey, God gives you some pleasant inns to refresh you along the way. They're not home. They're not ends in themselves, but you can enjoy them temporarily to refresh you as you travel toward your home, like eating and drinking and finding pleasure in your efforts. But we talked about that a bit last week. And I do think you can take those as representative of God's good gifts to us in time. I don't think that's meant to be an exhaustive list of God's gifts. So let's, let's broaden this this week beyond eating and drinking and your toil. For instance, in the poem that precedes this, notice how many of those things you often do relationally with other people. Weeping, laughing, mourning, dancing, embracing, speaking, loving. Many, friends, many of the pleasant ins God gives come in the form of people. Pearl Gantis was a regular attender here who passed away a few months ago. She's with the Lord now, which is far better. At her funeral, people talked about how Pearl would give you her full attention. She would make you feel like you were the most important person in the world. And she would say to people, you are my favorite. I was conducting the funeral, and I had to confess to people that she used to tell me when she would arrive, you're my favorite pastor. And then I realized she told that to every pastor. <laughs> but that's the beauty of how she was. She valued people as God's gifts in time. She would make you feel like you're the most important person to her. Husbands and wives, would your spouse say the same thing about you? Singles, teens, would your friends say the same about you? Sung pointed out to me recently that sometimes when I am reading in bed and she wants to tell me something or talk to me about something, I didn't often put my book down and give her my full attention. I need to put my book down and enjoy her as the gift that she is. Or parents, Parents, you can apply this as well. I'm thinking about these gifts from God. 
in terms of people. Parenting is hard work. I don't need to tell you that. It's physically taxing when they're young. It's emotionally taxing when they're older. And yes, teenagers, I realize, parents are taxing on you as well. I acknowledge that. But parents, don't, don't hit the snooze button on the gift of time with your children. The seasons of parenting, once gone, are gone forever. I'm trying to slow down and savor the few years I have left with kids in my home prior to adulthood. Chipotle burritos together, wordle contests with my daughters, watching my son play volleyball, driving him to and from school. These are brief gifts brief gifts that won't last much longer. Single adults, consider the same with your friends. Weep together, laugh together, mourn together, dance, embrace, speak, love. For all of us, friends, enjoy the gift of being together. Enjoy your next home group gathering. Those people there are pleasant inns for you, as it were, to refresh you on your journey, and you are to be for them. So enjoy the now, is what I'm saying. Enjoy the now. Enjoy God's good gifts in time. That's part of how Ecclesiastes says to live in this tension. But there's another way. I would entitle it, Embrace the Mystery. Embrace the Mystery. Embrace God's rule over time. Verse 14, it also begins, I perceived. Do you see that? I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. Verse 14 tells us the times God sets are unchangeable. They are not open to revision. Nothing can be added to them or taken away from them. No person, no thing, no circumstance can alter his plans. What he shuts, no one opens. What he opens, no one shuts. There is a divine hand, listen, a divine hand governing, governing every grain of sand in your hourglass. So, the verse continues, God has done it so that the people fear before him, so that we revere him, so that we hold him in awe and reverence and say, you are God and I am not. We acknowledge, I am not the captain of my fate, nor the master of my soul. I am a dependent creature. Embrace that. And there is great security, friends. Embrace that, and there is fortress-like security for your soul. A bedrock foundation on which to build your life. Nothing added to, nothing taken away from his plans that he accomplishes in time. Such that you hold him in holy fear and wonder. And all. But I say embrace the mystery. 
embrace the mystery because there will be mysterious times in our lives, times of suffering, times of hardship that don't make sense to you. Roughly, if not exactly, half of those items in that poem are hard. They're hard. Time to die, kill, break down, weep, mourn, a time for war. What about those times? The times of broken dreams and breaking hearts. It's one thing to say, embrace God's rule. It's another thing to do it in those times. So we say things like, well, God is weaving a a tapestry, and you only see the back side of that tapestry, all the loose threads. On the front side that you can't see yet, he's weaving a beautiful picture. Or we say, it's a painful shard of glass in your life, but God is using all these shards of glass to create a, a beautiful stained glass window. And I think those things are true and helpful in ways. But as I get older, I realize in the midst of suffering, sometimes those answers can seem trite and disconnected from reality. I wonder if it's not better that we say sometimes there is mystery here and we leave it at that. There is mystery here, and we don't deny it. There is mystery here, painful mystery. And yet we remind ourselves the right response is still to fear him. Think about Job, who suffered so much, lost all he held dear, tears his robe in grief, cries out to God for meaning, purpose and his suffering, Job, Job never got an answer. You realize that? God never explained himself to Job. I know we say sometimes, I can't wait to get to heaven and get an explanation for this. You might not get one. You might, I don't know. Job didn't. God doesn't owe us answers. At the end of the book, Job just met God. He met the God who rules over time. And in holy fear, in awe and wonder and reverence, he put his hand over his mouth. In the end, the right response is still to fear him. To stand in awe maybe in silence, maybe simply to say, you are God and I am not. There is mystery, is what I'm saying. There is mystery in God's sovereign, exhaustive rule over time. And yet there is comfort with hope as well. 
when time brings pain into our lives, remember something very important. This might be the most important thing I say. Remember that God took the most evil time possible, the crucifixion of his son, to bring about the greatest good possible for us. Acts chapter 2, the Apostle, Paul, Apostle Peter preaching, Jesus delivered up delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Catch that. He says, you crucified the Son of God. Incredible evil done. Morally culpable people. You did great evil. At the same time, God was accomplishing his definite plan to save. Acts chapter 4, the leaders are arrested. The early Christians pray, quote, Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, Herod, and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Listen, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They gathered against Jesus. They arrested him, beat him, mocked him, spit on him, tortured him, then nailed him naked to a cross in shame to do whatever God's plan had predestined to take place to save. I'm saying embrace the comfort of the cross in the midst of the mystery. Embrace the comfort of the cross. God took the time of greatest evil and accomplished our greatest good. I heard a pastor say there are three possible ways to respond. Three ways you could respond. The first is to claim that there is no ruler over time. No ruler that all time is random and therefore meaningless. Second way is to attempt self-rule, self-rule. To try to control your life and try to control the lives of others. And you're going to find that to be an exercise in futility, a life of inevitable frustration. Third possible response, embrace God's rule. Humble yourself in holy fear and embrace God's rule, holding him in awe and reverence with worship. Friends, God rules over the tension of time. So enjoy the now and embrace the mystery. Enjoy God's good gifts to you and embrace his good rule over everything that happens. Let's pray to that end, that God would help us, shall we? Then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. I want to give you a moment to respond to God and maybe anything the Spirit's been speaking to you about. Perhaps you've been thinking in your life, there's no ruler over time, all of life is just random, and you're realizing you were wrong. And God beckons you, he commands you to come to him because he loves you. 
has sent his son to live and die for you, to take away your sins and bring you to himself. I urge you to humble yourself and trust in, rely on Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, to take away your guilt, your shame, and to bring you to God. If you've been attempting self-rule and the result has been anxiety and frustration, acknowledge that to him. For all of us, let us take a moment to embrace God's rule right now. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for being so kind to us to give us, give us wisdom literature in your word, for imparting to us wisdom for living and finding meaning in a fallen world. Help us to now embrace your rule over time. Help us to submit our times to you and trust in you. Even when those times are mysterious and painful, because we look to the cross of your Son, we see the most evil act in which you accomplished such mercy and kindness toward us. Help us to believe and trust in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.